Howdy and welcome to another Battleship Retention. I am David Bax. Tyler Smith is still on assignment in Miami. He better bring back something great from that assignment. Um, I am going to introduce our guest because I was going to read our ad and I realize it's on my phone, which is somewhere else. So I'm going to introduce the guests. They've been on the show before. This is the first time being on the show together. It's Hollywood power couple, <laughs> Susan Burke and Matt Peters. How are you guys? Good. Do you want me to grab your phone? Have you seen my phone? <laughs> That's the, that was my next question. I think Matt sees it, oh, and, and he's finding it. It's by the it. door there. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I really do appreciate that. But uh, we can still talk while I find um, the, the, uh, the copy of our ad that I have to read. So how you guys been? Good. Good. Can I can I can I bring up Susan? I, I didn't want to talk about it. You you brought it up uh-huh. off mic. I, I wanted to wait until the show. You were originally going to celebrate our 400th episode with us. <laughs> yeah. And you weren't able to for reasons that I totally get. But at the same time, I want to make fun of and talk about it in the show. Can you tell the listener why you weren't on our 400th, epi- 400th episode? Okay. Well, I was very excited to do it, and there's very few things that would keep me from doing it and one of those things is the night before i got a phone call from my friend Marsha. then i was actually at a comedy show and i didn't answer it and immediately she texted like call me back right now and i was like what oh my god something's wrong i thought it was like an emergency you know because no one does that like unless right. something terrible happened so i called her and she's like do you have plans tomorrow and i was like yeah i do i'm doing a podcast and she said no cancel it <laughs> We're going to go meet Lil Bub. <laughs> so the famous cat, Lil Bub, uh, was doing an event at a pet store in Beverly Hills for a book that uh, called Letters to My Cat. Uh-huh. Um, he didn't write it. She, she didn't write it. Bub. Oh, sorry. And Bub was one of the, the guests of honor. And uh, my friend Marsha had like won a contest to to go to bring a friend to go and, and she, she had a plus one she had a plus one yes so she brought me because i love it's like Lil the Bub. third little bub event she's yeah she's been to like three little bub events but i had never been to a little bub event she's and, a I, bub head. and i love little bub like i've been a, a fan of little bub for two years now like like the whole time i think um now again i said up top that i totally understand and i mean that i totally understand like being geeky enough about a thing like that little bub in particular I don't. I'm not. I'm not with you. Really? Because that tongue thing creeps me out. Oh, I think it's what? adorable. I, I, for some reason, I've always uh, like. If there's, I don't know if there are, <clears throat> there are factions, but I'm much more team Grumpy Cat. Is that what it is? Yeah. I'm much more on that oh, one side. It's, there's actually an article in Spin that talks about Grumpy Cat and Lil Bub, uh-huh. and Lil Bub is the indie, and Grumpy Cat is the mainstream. I guess that's me. That's me. That's why. <laughs> I don't know. They both have the same, like, dwarfism. They both have, like, dwarfism, which is why they're so small. Uh-huh. And Lil Bub has, she's, like, a bone problem, but she doesn't have any teeth, which is why her tongue hangs out. <laughs> she has I'm a sorry, lot of that's health not problems. Funny. No, that's she, but she's healthy now. <laughs> she still has no teeth. But she still has no that. teeth, yeah. but she can, she can eat and everything. Have you taken a side? Are you, are you team Lil Bub? I'm probably team Lil Bub. Uh... <laughs> Did I say Teen Little Bub? Yeah. Teen <laughs> Little Bub. Yeah, teen Little Bub. That's, teen Bub. Right. That's the like teen the bub. animated Saturday morning cartoon spinoff. Right. <laughs> teen Little Bub. Teen Bub is slightly old, older than older. Little Bub. Yeah. Little right. Bub is a baby. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. And it's live action. It's, uh, it's, 
<laughs> well, it's after the animated Lil block. Lil Bub has her own show, and like pretty cool people are on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lil Bub's friends with like Steve Albini and uh, She's, yeah. Kim okay. Deal of the Breeders. She so, made a song. Uh, with I would, Kim Deal. I would like, and and Grumpy Cat is friends with like Matt Lauer. Yeah, I don't give a shit. You know, I'd much rather meet. Steve but was it okay? Lil Bub had a Christmas special, right? Uh huh. With Andrew uh, WK? Is yeah, that right? It was just a special. It was, oh, it was just a Amy special. Sedaris and Andrew WK. Oh, because Grumpy Cat had the Christmas special. Yeah. But that was with Aubrey Plaza, right? Yeah, but it's stupid. Which, okay, it's, I didn't it's, watch it's it. It's like a lifetime. But she's Christmas cool. Story. She's not mad. You call lower. yourself a movie reviewer. <laughs> and you've never <laughs> yeah. seen Lil Bob's Christmas special? Um, I mean, she's cool, but she's not as cool as Kim Deal from The Breeders, you know? I guess if we're, yeah, if we're, <laughs> if we're ranking yeah. just all people. If you want to judge cats by who they know. Uh-huh. <laughs> Lil Bub. Lil Who Bub. has more Twitter followers? Probably Grumpy Cat. I yeah. mean, I think Grumpy Cat's a lot more famous. Because Grumpy Cat, this is the other thing, too. Grumpy Cat, like, is a spokesperson for, like, Fancy Feast and does these, like, movies and stuff. Lil Bub, every single thing that she does, they give, like, at least 50% to charity. So Lil Bub won't, like, endorse products or anything, but she will do, like, things for charity. All right. So, so you're winning me over. Yeah, see. I still yeah. just find that tongue a little weird. <laughs> Well, Grumpy Cat's disabled. Sell, is a sellout. <laughs> yeah, Grumpy Cat is a sellout. A little bub stays true to her roots. Do you think Grumpy Cat like stays up nights, like wondering if he's really grumpy anymore, or if it's just a facade? <laughs> like, if he says he lost himself, <laughs> well, does Grumpy Cat Grumpy know who Cat's he is a anymore? Girl, too. I'm pretty sure. Okay. I think uh, Grumpy is also not the right qualifier. I think it's those eyes look just jaded. Yeah, but that <laughs> Not cat so is much really grumpy. cute. I, I'll hand it but to j- Grumpy but, Cat. Yeah, but you can't market jaded cat. No. Because people, I think people can identify with grumpy. Like It's like, that, especially with a cat. Like, I don't like Mondays. And right, right, right. People yeah. eat it up, but a jaded cat that's like, I've fucking seen it all. I'm over this shit. <laughs> that's a niche. That's more of a niche. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I would really respond to I that. would, too. To a jaded cat? Yeah. 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 But it's yeah, I can see Grumpy Cat is a more of a, it's the lowest common denominator type of thing. But I think Grumpy Cat is now... More jaded than grumpy. Probably, yeah. But I like, so who's I like next? Grumpy. Are there, like, who's coming along? I don't know. Who's, like, the, the, who's the indie band that's, that's, that's the, coming up that's getting, like, the, the buzz on the blogs? You have to breed cats to have There's the right a, deformities. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. Right. Um, so there, there, are, there aren't any more, you know under the radar cats that you cool guys know Well, there's about. this cat named Smoosh that's like a friend of Lil Bub's that I think is like kind of famous because of Lil Bub. They say that Smoosh is Lil Bub's boyfriend. It's just like, it's just a big, fat, normal little cat, you know? There's right. no like deformities, but it's, it's really cute. Kevin cat. Fetterline to her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <These papers>. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, I'm going to read an ad, you guys. Oh, yeah. I have it now. And I want you guys and all the listeners to know that this episode is sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $4.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. There are a lot of great movies available right now. Among them, have you guys seen the 2004 film Keen? K-E-A-N-E? No. It's for, for, for people who maybe didn't, weren't exposed to how great uh, an actor Damian Lewis was, is before Homeland. He made this indie where he plays a, 
um, very mentally unstable person who spends about an hour and 45 minutes just looking for his missing daughter. But you don't know for sure because he's not well. Uh-huh. If there actually is a daughter, if he's missing, what's going on? Um, it's an exhausting and intense movie, uh, but a fantastic showcase for Damien Lewis's talents. That's uh, one of that's one of just 30 films that's currently available on Mubi. And there's a special officer... F- <laughs> I did this last week, too. I said officer last week, too. There is a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I dot com, slash Battleship, to redeem now. I'm going to take you up on that offer. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Mubi's, it's a really cool service. It's yeah, really we had a cool friend idea. recommend that to us. Yeah? yeah? We haven't done it yet, though. We should do that. Well, now you get a we'll free do, month. do the free month, Yeah. Yeah. So, how you guys, so we talked about Little Bub, we talked about Mubi. <laughs> How have you guys been otherwise? Good. That's about it. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> but you're going to Sundance. Yeah, we're going to yes. Sundance. By the time this Sunday. episode's up, you are at Sundance. We'll be at Sundance probably. When will yeah. it air? Sunday. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll be on our way. We'll be on our, on our way. way. Yeah, on we're leaving okay. Sunday. <clears throat> okay. Anything yeah, particularly looking forward to seeing? I'm in a short. That's why I'm going. Have um, you seen it yet? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's good. Uh, it looks Great. It's really beautifully shot, yeah. yeah. Do you know... Um, Michael Mohan, do you know him? No. You don't? I don't. I'm afraid <laughs> He's not. He's a cool guy. You think uh, he's a little bub? <laughs> Probably. <don't> it's pretty good. <laughs> um, no, it's good. And it, I mean, it looks really great, and I'm excited for people to see it. What's the name of the, the Pink short? Grapefruit. Pink Grapefruit. And Matt yes. kind of shows his butt in it. There's a lot of nudity. Yeah. You kind of show your pink grapefruit <laughs> in a movie? That's why it's called it. No, oh, no is, it's not. We can talk about the movie magic involved in this thing. I was I was hesitant at first to take the gig because it's a very risque script. Uh-huh. And there's some nudity and stuff. Um, and I don't mind showing my butt at all. Like, it's, it's, uh, it's you know, whatever. You're proud of your butt. You like to show it. But I'm not proud of my penis <laughs> at all. No. Um, but, you know, it's a little a little bit more uh, sensitive about it, I suppose. Jesus Christ. Anyway, um, I had to do a scene that where I had to be nude. And um, I, I was, you know, with a, a woman for this scene. And because it's sort of you know, a sensitive scene. Like we, uh, I'd wear Houdini pants. And if you don't know what those are, they're just like, they look like flesh, but you, you wear them and covers up your privates. <clears throat> but in the shot, uh, it's, it's a shot of my, my butt, uh-huh. but I'm wearing these Houdini pants. So you, it, it looks like I don't have a <laughs> butthole or a butt crack. <laughs> so they had to digitally put one in. Oh my God. This is like, Olivia Wilde's nipple in the in the changeup. I don't know if you know the story. I don't know no. the story. But she was wearing. There's a, she has a sex scene with Ryan Reynolds or whoever or Jason Bateman. It's one of the most terrible movies I've ever seen in my life. Uh, so I don't remember which one. But she's topless. But I guess she had like pasties on. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. But then in the angle, the camera she turned, it caught the fact that she was. You could see the pasty apparently on the screen. So she had to go and like approve the digital nipple they were adding in. That's awesome. And so I wonder. At that point, like... I had to approve the butt crack. Did, okay, th- I, I was yeah. going to ask that. But also, like, what is the difference yeah. at that point? Um, well, you, you could just tell it was 
I was wearing something. But I guess what but I'm saying like, is... emotionally. Like, yeah, yeah. Are, are you, like... It, are, is there, like, a layer of protection between you and the movie now? Because you know, even though the, none of the audience knows, you know that's not really... I've blown it. For everybody, <laughs> you have to edit this out. No. Um, I was... Do you feel less well, exposed I, because it's fake? Uh, well, that's the thing. I, I haven't... I didn't look at it carefully enough, and I, I regret that, because I was immediately like, I don't give a shit. Like, put whatever butt crap. What if it's, like, not even there. in a straight line? I was so fascinated by the idea <laughs> that I was going to have a fake, fake butt crack <laughs> that I was like, give me two buttholes, man. That'll be <laughs> so fun. Well, it's not your butthole. It's just your butt crack. <laughs> whatever. Uh, give me two butt cracks. Give me a bunch. Go nuts. I don't care. But now, like, I know what my own butt crack looks like, but now I didn't really look at this stunt crack. <laughs> and I just wanted to do, I just wanted to look good. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't want them to just choose some whatever butt crack out of a lineup right. of butt cracks that they're just like, I don't give a shit. And they just throw one up there. And then I look, my, once my butt is up on the big screen, I got some... Some lo- some other loser's asshole. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. In retrospect, I wish I would have just... Just shown it. Just well, mooned the camera. You were gonna, and then, because the girl that you're acting with, like, had all these things in her contract where she was like, I- I'm not gonna... She was such a diva. <laughs> she's such a diva. She was great. No, and, like, I was really nervous, and but she's... um. I understand her feeling more oh, yeah. sensitive about that stuff. So, uh, but like, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't an issue. They were just like, "Yeah, we got these things you can wear." They thought they had a shot that they in, ended up not being able to get, and uh, that's why they gave me a fake butt. Um, I know this isn't the focus of the conversation, but why are they called Houdini pants? <laughs> I don't know. Because they. Don't know. Mm- Make your privates disappear? Yeah. I don't know. But Houdini didn't make stuff. That's no. like, they'd be called like David Copperfield yeah. pants or whatever, or someone else who makes stuff disappear. But like, Houdini like I think got out of things. Called. Are they easy to get out of? Is that. <laughs> they're really tight, aren't they? Because I've had to saying, wear. Yeah, but if you were like. Similar. Tied up in these and dunked in water. I would just you think be able it's because. I think, I think they're called Houdini pants because it presents an illusion. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Okay. That, the right. illusion that you're nude when in fact you are not. But off camera, the weird thing yeah. about Houdini's that stuff. Houdini's in the business of illusion. Off camera, they're really obvious. Like it just looks like you're wearing like, like pantyhose pretty much. Like you can really tell. Like they look a lot like. Re- then they're like really tight they're underwear. Very, very tight. Yeah. Oh, that movie magic. You guys are really. <laughs> lifting the curtain on how how this stuff happens, yeah. and the pasties are just like big band aids, uh-huh. you know, that are really when you take them off, it like they're like just uh, stickers, so they're uh-huh. painful. Yeah, it's terrible. Oh, that sounds awful. Um, it's okay if the dog makes noise. Last week when we were here, he started full on howling during the really? podcast. He's adorable, which yeah. he will do sometimes if he uh, is excited or doesn't feel like he's getting enough attention. He's got super sweet peepers. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, you guys take a break to um, pet the dog. <laughs> uh, no, here's what we heard. Sponsor? Uh, no, I don't. Well, actually, yeah, I do. But we're gonna get to that later. Oh, there's a kitty um, here. Yes, there's a kitty as well. Um, I mean, but she's right here. That's a, she's on my lap. <laughs> yeah, she will. 
if if she likes to get I think it's a game she plays with herself. Like, you know the like I'm not touching you, you can't get mad thing. You put your finger in someone's face. Uh-huh. If if my wife or I, are, or I are on the couch, she will crawl up on her chest and es- essentially try to get her face as close to ours as possible <laughs> without touching. This is not the point of the podcast to talk about uh, how cute my cat is. Um, anyone, anyone who's everyone knows. Anyone who's anyone knows how cute my cat is. Yes, it's like little bub style. Um, <laughs> I'm incredibly out of sorts doing the podcast in my own apartment. How are we doing uh, on time? <laughs> if you haven't noticed, but. Um, no, please have a chip. Um, here's what we're here to talk about. Listeners at home or wherever you are might have glanced down at your MP3 player. Um, you know, uh, no brand names, whatever it is, whatever you use to listen to music, and noticed that the number of this episode ends in a zero, but is not divisible by fifty. And therefore, you know that this is a profile episode. <laughs> this is what we do every time an episode ends up being not not divisible by fifty. And yet ending in a zero. So, um, at your guys' uh, request, we are going to take a look at the career the career of Paul Thomas Anderson, who recently had a uh, had a great film out. Yeah. Did you guys see Inherent oh, Vice? Oh, God, yeah. Yes, we've seen it a few times. A few times. Oh, yeah? No. So, you liked it then? Yep. Yeah. That's my favorite movie of the year. Yeah? By far, yeah. It's in, it's in the top five for me, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm kind of surprised that no one's that you haven't done a profile episode on this guy yet. Yeah. Well, c- c- this guy. This, <laughs> this old be- guy. Partially because he hasn't actually done. I guess now he has, but he hasn't. He hadn't done that many mm-hmm. movies. Right. You know, usually when we do, if we do a Billy Wilder or something, you know, we've got dozens of movies to to look at. Here, he's got like seven or eight films. Yeah. I thought the selection might come off as a little uh, bush league. <laughs> you know. I, I, th- I think that's fine please explain that though you know what I mean like that, that other people would come on and be like oh, I want to talk about uh, uh, Tarkovsky or, right 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 uh, no I know what you Fassbender mean Fassbender or something like that but you know? here's the thing is it because is it because Paul Thomas Anderson's movies are funny or because they're American or because they're recent like why do you recent and American recent and American all that yeah. stuff popular okay, okay. But, but are they that popular? I don't think they're that popular. I mean, Inherent Vice, I am shocked that, like, it's not nominated for anything. Yeah. The Oscars or, you know, like, <clears throat> uh, Writers Guild Awards, SAG Awards, like, it, nobody's nominated it for anything except for, like, costume design, which is insane because it's a fucking great movie. It, it is. But I, I, mean, I, I think it's, um, I think it feels maybe too unformed. Not that it is yeah. unformed, but I think to people, the Academy, you know, I'm sure, you know, they celebrate art in film or whatever their the whole thing is. But um, I think their taste tends to run pretty conventional. Yeah, very much so. And Inherent Vice is not a conventional story. And it's also, I, st- I, th- I think this is a big part of it. It's, I think it's just too funny. I think so too. But what I don't understand about people's reaction to that film is like, I've read so many. Most of the reviews I've read have been good, except for, like, some really, like, idiot critics where I've, like, looked at bad reviews of it and then looked to see what else they reviewed. And it's like, oh, okay, well, they're an idiot. Um, so I I shouldn't like what they like. But um, 
that so many people have said like, oh, it's really meandering and where's the plot? And it's like the plot is very clear. There's a really clear plot. It's I don't. Yeah, those people don't know what plot means. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> or like, there's yeah. no story. It's like it's a very dense plot. It's a dense plot. It's, it's dense. Isn't. Is it clear, though? Because I'm not entirely sure that I, I... I mean, you've seen it multiple times at this point. Having seen it once, I don't think I entirely understand what happened, but it's I also not don't clear. care. It's not supposed to be clear. Yeah, it's yeah. like the big sleep, like that, which... Right. Uh, if, like, that's, the, that's always the example people point to. And people always compare The Big Lebowski to The Big Sleep, uh-huh. but The Big Lebowski, as dense it is, as it is, goes out of its way to make perfect sense. Like, it, I, I don't feel... I don't think you're confused by The Big Lebowski, whereas... Really? Because <laughs> it's, I think it's it's very similar in yeah, the regard so that it, the plot feels convoluted. There's a moment in the Big Lebowski where everything's sort of tied up when you find out about Bunny coming back. Right, that's what I'm saying, and I'm saying in Inherent Vice there isn't that moment. Right, I think there is. It's just not what people expected because I think everything. I don't want to like give away any spoilers, but I think like the ultimate resolution isn't a big resolution. You know, it isn't like oh now, like, she's back there in love. We know exactly what happened with that whole ordeal. It's more like we're not quite sure where that relationship's going, and that's not really at the center of it anyway. It's it's all the little kid blues and stuff is, like, what really got resolved along the way. And I think that's sort of very much like how real life is. Like, we're looking for, like, this big, huge resolution, and it's really, like, something that happens along the way, like something that you end up doing that you didn't set out to do that ends up being the important part. And I, I like that's what I took away from it was right. like that his encounters with um Owen Wilson's character turned into be like the the most Im- important part of the story. I'm glad you said it cuz uh, again, I having only seen it only seen it once, I feel the same way, but I didn't know if I didn't know if that's what you're referring to. Yeah. You know, the part at the end outside Owen Wilson and Jenna Malone's house uh, and it's not that's not the very end. No, it's not. But that does feel like yeah, like you're saying, more important than whatever else he's trying to get to the bottom of that he doesn't even fully understand. Yeah, because his, I mean, the relationship with with him and the cop sort of is resolved, and the relationship with him and his ex-girlfriend sort of is resolved. I'm really trying not to, like, give any spoilers away. I, mean, I, I think you can be... To, to be vague about it. I, but, but, um, yeah, I think, you, I think it's okay to talk in some specifics at this point. I feel like a lot of our listeners have probably, have probably, seen, it. probably okay. seen it. But, yeah, it's not... I mean, but I like that. And it doesn't feel... Like, there's a lot of absurdities in that movie, certainly, but it doesn't feel like it has an absurd ending at all. It feels like it has a really grounded realistic ending that just maybe isn't as satisfying for people that want to see like Hollywood epics you know because it's not that right but I think it's so well constructed and all the performances are so good I'm just bummed that people aren't excited about it Um, I just I mean there are a few movies that I liked more this year but I don't have any I'm not. I, I, yeah, I'm not giving inherent vice any demerits. Right. No. 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 Uh, yeah. I, I think it's it's fantastic. But I wonder if we should um, maybe, having talked about inherent vice, go back to the beginning and go chronologically through his movies, which means starting with Heart Eight or Sydney. I done, yeah, I, say, I haven't done a lot of research. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen that movie. It's been a long time. It's always also been a long time for me. Um, but I feel like people. Uh, people who want to sound smart call it Sydney because that's that's P.T. <laughs> right. Anderson's preferred title apparently, but Heart Eight is what everyone knows it as. Um, 
So I, but it's been a long time for all of us, I guess. Since yeah. Seeing Heart Eight. Did you guys like Heart Eight? I didn't like Heart Eight. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just feels like a very '90s movie to me. Like there's nothing I haven't seen it in a while. I could watch it tomorrow and be like, "Oh, this is so great! I didn't realize it." But I, I, it just felt like a very typical '90s movie to me, like just '90s indie movie. Uh, I think you've hit on something that um, I'm going to talk about because the big reveal here is that I was not a fan of Paul Thomas Anderson pre-Punch Drunk Love. Really? Yeah. yeah. I get it. And um, part of that, uh, Hard Eight, I find completely inoffensive, but it is in that 90s post-Tarantino way, it's uh-huh. kind of just like it's his Scorsese movie. Yeah. And then he made a couple of his it's Robert exactly Altman movies. exactly like Soap Dish. <laughs> <laughs> Or, I don't know. Which is, uh, I mean, like the Gwen Paltrow's character, she's like a prostitute, right? That's. I think so. That's yeah, so just it just feels so. Cliche. But I mean, who else could but you possibly like, cast? I mean, when I see Gwyneth Paltrow, when I read Goop.com, <laughs> I think. What a cheap Hoa. Vegas whore. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'd like to actually. We should have watched that before before coming on because. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of, <clears throat> there are a few of his movies that uh, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to have a hard time recalling, and that's one. Ooh. Magnolia, I haven't seen in a while, and uh, Punch Drunk Love. Well, you're, you're, you're getting ahead of us. Yeah. yeah. We're still at heart, eh? <laughs> No, I don't have that much. I'm just trying to, to encourage yeah, you to move have, on. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on from heart. But I guess, uh, but I, I, I want to say um, that um, the Cinematographer Robert Ellswood, who has shot most of his stuff, I think, with the exception of The Master, I think, has shot everything, um, shot Hard Eight. Yeah. And, it, and it looks great, but it still has... It's so Scorsese in the way that even the way it moves through the through the casino with, like, long steady cam takes is so uh, reminiscent of Goodfellas, you know, in that long steady cam take, take that it, uh, it really does just seem like him... It, it feels like... A well done, like sort of practice run for him almost. Yeah, but if that's—I mean—a first film. What, he was like in his mid twenties when he made that. Early twenties. Like Twenty-three. Yeah, he wow. was extremely yeah. young. So I think comparing that to to other people's first films. You could say that about yeah. Boogie Nights too. That I mean, there are so many shots that are so derivative of Scorsese and specifically Goodfellas. Yeah. yeah. All the Coke stuff is hilarious, like because it's exactly like. The cocaine stuff at the end of Goodfellas, but I think Boogie Nights is so funny that there's like it's great. There's I, a real I enjoy the hell out of it. Like wink when stuff is really like derivative. I can't talk when stuff is derivative. It's not like Heart Eight feels like it's super serious and that it's supposed to like take you on this like you're here and it's gritty and it's real and but he's like a yeah. kid making that like, yeah like a rich California kid. But isn't it weird now that there was a time before John C. Riley was thought of as a comic actor? Like, I feel like he gets cast as a funny guy more than anything now. But there was a time he was like, you know, serious, serious. like indie, like dramatic character actor. Well, I think he's still. I mean, I think that's what's <laughs> rad about John C. Riley is like he's you know been nominated for an Academy Award and right. like he chooses to do like super weird adult swim shows. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Greatest guy ever. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Let's move on to Boogie Nights because. Um, yeah, uh, you're, you're definitely right about the Scorsese stuff, but it also has, I think, the, uh, it's almost become hackneyed at this point to compare Boogie Nights and Magnolia to Robert Altman, but it mm-hmm. does, you know, it's no secret that he was, that 
P.T. Anderson is a big Robert Altman fan. Yeah. And it does feel like in the <laughs> in the that tapestry type approach that he's making his foray into Altmanness. That's me. <laughs> the thing is, the mic is almost certainly not picking that up. Right. But so it is distracting. Yeah. I mean, I love Boogie Nights is uh, one of the movies. Did you say Boogie Nights? Boogie? Boogie 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 Nights. Boogie Nights. Boogie. How, how is it said? How is it pronounced? Boogie. Boogie. Boogie, oogie, oogie, oogie. Yeah, that's right. Boogie. I don't know. N- now I'm... The show's gone off the rails, man. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I was we're, hoping, we're all uh, on a lot of drugs. Right? What's that? We're on like crazy mescaline and shit. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping you guys could could riff on the boogie pronunciation for a little bit while um, I uh, tried to calm down that uh, the dog. I was just gonna uh, say, I've, say I've probably seen that movie more than any other movie, or at least like pieces of it. Any other Paul TV Thomas Anderson on. movie, or any other movie at all? <laughs> any other? It's on TV definitely any other Paul Thomas Anderson movie. But I mean, I think it's just a really watchable, fun movie. And the performances are really good. Like, I think he's definitely an actor's director. Like, he's amazing at getting really good performances out of people that aren't good in other things. Yeah, I think that's um, something he maybe doesn't get enough credit for, actually. Um, I mean, everyone everyone knows that the actors in his movies always <laughs> give good performances, but I think he's thought of as a stylist or a formalist right. or, uh, you know, uh, that, that sort of thing. Um, and, maybe, yeah... Maybe people just think he casts well, but he does seem to get great performances. Bring something out of them. I mean, I think, and I think Mark Wahlberg is a is a good actor, but he's amazing in that movie. If I didn't know who he was and I'd only seen that movie, I would think that he was a super smart, like great actor. Right. But knowing that, like, no, I think he's probably not a super smart guy, but just a relatively like easy guy to direct because of that. Right. You know, but. I He's feel like great. he would describe himself as street smart. I feel like that's probably how Mark Wahlberg thinks of himself. You think he's dumb? I think he's dumb. I've heard that he's dumb. I've heard, actually, that he's not a smart guy, but that directors like to work with him because... Because he's so dumb. He just is easy to manipulate. He's like moldable. <laughs> yeah. He's like right. a puppet. He's like Play-Doh. Which is... But, I mean, actors... My experience in meeting actors, they're usually really smart and cool... Or, like, complete idiots <laughs> that, that are just, like, vacuous and you can fill up with the character and they're great on screen. And then, like, that character leaves their body through their butthole <laughs> and, and they're just dumb again, you know? Um, and Mark Wahlberg's probably an example of that. He acts with his butthole. Yeah, acts with his butthole. Um, but Heather Graham, too. It's like, I, and I, I think she's really great in Drugstore Cowboy and I think she's really great in Boogie Nights, but... I'm gonna and laugh I, every time you say. And boog- I say boogie, boogie. funny, um, but uh, in other movies, she's—I don't know what the deal is. I want to like her so badly because I like her so much in those movies, but yeah, I kind of feel the same way. Um, I always want—I always want to like Heather Graham because I think I first remember—I first remember her from Swingers, which is a movie that uh-huh. I love. Um, but yeah, there are some things that just uh, she's not not great in. Um, here's the thing about Boogie Nights. That when you, I haven't seen it in a while, and when when someone mentions it, the first thing I always think of is the scene in the donut shop where everyone dies, mm. and how much that scene upset me at the time, and how much I think I don't want to rewatch that because I find that like specifically the innocent donut shop clerk guy getting shot in the back of the head by a stray bullet is so upsetting to me 
that I feel like it's, uh, I don't know if it's like a personal thing, but it's like, oh, no, you went a little too far. I know that scene's supposed to be upsetting, but now you've taken me out of the movie. And all I can think of is that you were trying too hard. I don't know. Do you guys have any reaction to that scene? <laughs> I guess it does. It, well, it kind of feels sort of uh, inconsequential, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, uh, when at that point, you, it's almost like that scene is just an excuse to get to the the ending for that character, which is him having, having the opportunity money. to open that shop. Right. Right? Right. Because he can't get the loan. Uh, but then, yeah, deus ex machina. God came down and shot this innocent teenager in the back <laughs> of the head, and now he gets to do whatever he wants. Wasn't that sort of a... Uh, like metaphor for the whole movie that they finally get what they want in the end, but they have to like go through this like horrible thing to right. get it. So they have they get the money, but they have to witness something awful, and it's just like they have to go through this life of porn to to get to the end. I don't know. That's a good point. I thought for a second you were saying it was a metaphor for Boogie Nights, and there was some backstory I didn't know about oh, where no. Paul Thomas Anderson got the money to make he Boogie Nights because from... he survived a robbery. <laughs> <laughs> no, but. I mean, it's the the whole end of that movie is is really sad. I think the whole movie of that movie is really sad. Yeah, I, I think I I don't know. I would have to my my opinion on Boogie Nights at the time that I saw it, which is a long time ago, which is very similar to my opinion on Magnolia. So we can probably move in, move into that in a second. But that it's a collection of great scenes that don't form. They don't gel for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I wonder if I need to revisit it. It's actually on my list of uh, movies that I said I didn't like that everyone tells me I should like and that, I'm plan- that I plan to revisit along with, uh, I don't know, Bring It On. People like that movie a lot, right? Really? I don't. That cheerleader movie? There's yeah. a, lot, it has a, lot of, a lot of fans. Same um, with that Pitch Perfect movie. People ugh. keep saying it's great. It's oh, not that thing, stupid. No, it, I'm so glad you said that because Pitch Perfect. It's horrible. I feel like. Did, have you seen it? Yeah, I saw it on TV. You watched it without me? <laughs> I'm so I sorry. Seen it. Whenever I, I hear people talk about Pitch Perfect, like it's the second coming of Heather's or whatever, no. or even Mean Girls, like I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Yeah. Uh, well, Heather's um, and Mean Girls don't have horrible musical numbers in them. Like, right. The, yeah. Maybe if it didn't have the music, it would be okay. But, but it's also the jokes in in Pitch Perfect are almost like someone who's not funny watched something mm-hmm. that was funny and was like, "Oh, so you just you just be a little edgy here yeah. and you make you know jokes about I don't know." Oh, the uh, fat girl calls herself Fat Amy. You know, right? Like, yeah, it's so uninspired. Uh, I I really I I saw Pitch Perfect. I saw like a press screen, so it was before. So I saw it and I was like, oh, that was dumb. Yeah. And then everyone started liking it. And now I feel like I hate it more every day. Me too. Because people like it so much. No, people whose opinions I really respect like it. And I'm just like, what? Are you kidding? Like, Well, I don't want to name names. (laughs) (laughs) Because I feel like I'd be like shit talking people. It's been in the iTunes like top 25 uh, since it was released. It's crazy. I, like it's got like a cult following. I understand teenagers right, but it's liking like it, but the worst cult. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a cult of losers. <laughs> well, just like Glee, like fans of Glee, which I I've seen like one episode, but it's awful. Like I've seen every episode. Have of Glee, you? You by like the Glee? Way. I don't. I have liked it. I feel like it's the show that 
it's like well, it's like American Horror Story, which is the same yeah. person, which is like this is ninety percent of the time this is so stupid, but I know it is at any moment because it's such a both are such schizophrenic shows. At any moment, yeah. it could have something that is completely off the wall, incredible. And so I and now I'm just watching Glee because it's in its short last season, and I'm just sort of seeing it through. Um, but uh, we've gotten off topic, way off topic. Uh, yeah, Boogie Nights. I just wonder if. Um, I need to revisit it. Maybe there are things about it at the time. I think I tend not to, as much as, um, you know, there's, we mentioned Goodfellas. I like Goodfellas. But I tend not to like cocaine movies mm-hmm. because people are obnoxious when they're on cocaine. And when movie characters are on cocaine, it's like, yeah, you're doing a great job, but uh, this is really uh, uncomfortable for me. Really? <clears throat> I love cocaine movies. <laughs> but you I love cocaine. I wish we could just do that topic. <laughs> um <laughs> There's a little, the cinematic think career of, it, the, of cocaine. There are some of the cocaine scenes and uh, Boogie Nights, specifically the ones with that are, are later on. Uh, well, no, I can't. I'm trying to remember the timeline of the movie. Um, but there's one really great cocaine scene, with, and that's the one with Alfred Molina. Sure, that's and, a, I guess, and that's what I'm talking about yeah. before. Like, there's so many great scenes in the movie, but I don't know that the movie needs to be like. Two, two hours and 40 right. minutes long or however long it is. Well, that's a really long scene. Yeah. But it plays, and I think this is, do you want to, I'm sorry. I just no, go ahead. Like his, his great strength um, with actors is having like one center actor who's like clearly like the main character, but then having this amazing ensemble cast around him. And I think maybe Boogie Nights has too many... <laughs> They're laughing every time I say <laughs> that. B Nights has uh, has maybe too many like side stories, you know, and like subplots. But I love all those characters. Like I want to know what's happening with all those characters. So um, to to move on, who would you say is the main character then in Magnolia? That that one is that the exception to the rule. That is the exception to the rule, and I don't like Magnolia. Like, it's okay. Uh, okay. We'll talk about that in a second, but I also wanted... Did either of you listen to Paul Thomas Anderson on Mark Maron's podcast? Oh, uh, I listened to some of it. Did you hear the Ricky Jay story about why Ricky Jay couldn't stop laughing when he was supposed yeah, to be Yeah, what was the word? <laughs> the word is nevertheless. Nevertheless. Yeah. So the story is, for those who didn't listen, and for you, uh, Susan... Um, in the scene, it's like a pool party. It's been a while, and Mark Wahlberg like shows up uh, drunk, and um, uh, Burt Reynolds is yelling at him, and Ricky Jay is supposed to hold Burt Reynolds back. And Burt Reynolds keeps saying, in character, saying something like, nevertheless, you're drunk. And Ricky Jay loses it every time. And it's because, um, right, you listen, so tell me if I'm, if I'm getting the story wrong. But there was a, was it like a college football game? Or there was some sort of sporting event where a Native American woman was going to sing the national anthem or, or present something. Um, and <laughs> the announcer said, please welcome, uh, I think, Helen Forrest, or her name was. And someone in the crowd yelled, Helen Forrest sucks cock. And the announcer <laughs> said, nevertheless. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I, know, I, heard that interv- I heard that interview like a week or two ago. But Boogie Nights, I've seen Boogie Nights on stars or something in the last week and i watched that scene uh-huh. to see if you can see ricky <laughs> jay crack up and you can't okay well yeah. good for ricky jay they got a clean take 
I met him at um, El Compadre on Sunset. Once. Oh, cool. really? The one by Meltdown Comics, not the other. Meltdown. Yeah, we were going to eat there yesterday after Meltdown, and then Howard yeah, Kramer was it. like, "Oh, it's girls, don't eat there." But it's good enough for Ricky J. <laughs> yeah, it's good enough. It's for not good enough for Howard Kramer. Oh, oh, Howie. Different, different comedy and magic, you know. Yeah, there are very few famous people. I know we're off topic. There are very few famous people that I, you know. We all live in Los Angeles. We see famous people all the time. I got I got two of them here in my apartment <laughs> right now. Um, the cat and the don't dog. get blinded <laughs> by our starshine. <laughs> um, but there are very few that I've actually like gone up and like introduced myself to. Ricky Jay is one, and coincidentally, just last week I told the story about Lavar Burton. That's oh, another cool. one that I had. To, I had to. It was when I worked at the ArcLight. I have all kinds of stories from working did, at the ArcLight. When did you work at ArcLight? Early 2007. Did you? Did Davy Johnson work there when you worked there? No. Oh, he must have just. I didn't quit. know he worked there. Yeah, I, I know. There. I worked with people who knew Jonah Ray because Jonah Ray used to yeah. work there a little bit before I did. But I don't think I knew that he even worked. He worked there. there. Yeah, I saw like every movie that year because Davy <laughs> <laughs> for free, like 2006, I guess, when he worked there. Um, but my favorite little celebrity tidbit from having worked at the ArcLight, Dwight Yoakam. Likes a lot of ice in his drink. He specifically asked for extra ice and then leaned over the counter to watch me putting ice in the drink and was like, a little more. You know what? Dwight Yoakam used to ice work at Monty's on Fairfax, which isn't there anymore, but it's like a bakery. And Dwight Yoakam okay. used to go in there and get cakes. And Kyle McLaughlin used to come in and get oh. turkey chili. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, speaking of Magnolia. <laughs> turkey chili and Kyle McLaughlin. Uh, so that's another one I guess I feel the same felt the same way about at the time. Uh, a lot of great scenes I don't know that I I feel the same way. I feel like Magnolia is a really ambitious movie and I feel like now if he took it on that he would probably do a really great job with it, but I I feel like it was too ambitious for where he was then. And I I I wonder with you saying that it's making me think of I referred to him as a, uh, a stylist and a formalist before, but I feel like he really, it wasn't until Punch Drunk Love that he really came into mm-hmm. the idea of experimenting with, with uh, aesthetics and, and with form. And maybe um, part of the problem with Magnolia for me is that despite its scope in terms of st- story and character, it doesn't have a presentation to match. Mm-hmm. Like it feels kind of um, pedestrian a little bit in the way it's... Uh, presented again great cinematography but it's not oh beautiful yeah it, it, it it's not really um it's not really reaching out there the way that punch drunk love uh would do in a in a few, a few years after that no but magnolia i mean that got so much attention from like awards people and like people saw it as a masterpiece and punch drunk love i think was largely ignored it was maybe it's because of the same thing we're talking about with yeah. inherent vice because magnolia is more conventional mm-hmm. Frogs falling from the, from the sky, notwithstanding, uh, but it is—it's a little more palatable, yeah. maybe. And Punch Drunk Love is a movie that is unceasingly uncomfortable uh-huh. the entire time. It has a very weird sense of humor, you know. It much like in, in Inherent Vice, it presents things that are on the page comedic, but presents them in a way that is not not something we have come to expect from a Hollywood comedy. But it still follows the classic Adam Sandler formula of, like, underdog guy gets the girl in the end. Like, it's just a super weird, great version of that. Right. 
Yeah. And I love that he, like Paul Thomas Anderson, was like, I need to learn how to write comedy. So he went and worked at Saturday Night Live for a year. And that's the, that's the result. Is right. Punch Drunk Love. Like I, I, I should do that, too. <laughs> <laughs> because I, it is a very funny movie. Seems smart. Yeah, and he has the option to just go and work at Saturday Night Live for but, a year. But, but that, that's what came from that is hilarious yeah. to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned it being the standard Adam Sandler movie, but even like it has direct correlations to Happy Gilmore in uh-huh. terms of the like the rage, you know, his like anger management problems, and it, so it plays essentially the same character or that same character trait. Mm-hmm. Um, that is again on the page, it's the same thing. It's in like oh, being wacky and losing his temper, but it's so weird in Punch Drunk Love when he like breaks the sliding glass door or. Beats up a bathroom. Yeah, it's so he's a. Yeah, it's just realistic. It yeah. takes. It's just a. Puts it in a different context. Yeah, because in real life, that person is scary, and you don't want anything to do with that person. And like when he gets the girl, it's like, oh, I don't know if he should. I don't know if I trust this person with this nice woman. You know. Right, but that the scene in the hotel room where they're talking about like the violent things they want to yeah. do to each other. That like that's the clue that like oh maybe on the surface they're not the same. They don't seem like the same person, but there's something. Oh yeah. Uh, I and that's like my favorite scene in the movie. Probably, uh, I love that movie it's so great. so much, and it, so com- it like completely blew the door. It's like, um, it's it it's like what Zodiac was for David Fincher with me. I was not a David Fincher fan, and I saw Zodiac, and I was like, I was wrong about something. Yeah. You know that that this guy who made these movies I didn't like had this in him, and I felt the same way when I saw Punch Drunk Love. I mean, I love, uh, I'm not going to say, I love the movie about the 70s uh, a lot. But <clears> if <throat> I had only seen Heart 8 and, and Magnolia and then I saw Punch Drunk Love, I would have had the same feeling of. Right. But at that point, I think I was like, oh, he's, he's good. He's made some good movies. And then that was a phenomenal movie. And then everything he's made since. He's also, I mean, he's a writer. He writes his own stuff. Right, right, right. Those three, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, and... Punch Drunk Lover, very funny, and that was uh, what I found most appealing, is that he just writes, Boogie Nights is filled with oh, yeah. really, really funny dialogue. Like, I mean, he almost, like, uh, you know, like scenes like uh, John C. Riley and Mark Wahlberg and the music studio and stuff like that, that's been quoted ad uh-huh. nauseum since that movie came out, you know, it's just yeah. like, it's, it's, you know, it works. It's just really funny stuff. Mm. And it, it takes a certain kind of confidence that I really respond to to make stuff that is unabashedly, I don't know, arty or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, lofty um, and not feel that you're above making silly jokes. Yeah, and his and his casting choices are always really interesting. Um, like, I think that was at a point when Adam Sandler was really trying to do serious stuff, you know, was really trying to be like more yeah. of a Robin Williams or Jim Carrey, you know, and like I can do serious stuff and sort of failed at that. But I think in Punch Drunk Love, like he's, he does an amazing job. Like I'm he's, to think. Well, he's he, good he, he did Spanglish. I think that was after yeah. Punch Drunk Love. He did Rain Over Me, which Rain everyone forgot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then, um, he was in, what men, women, and children? Just this past oh, was year, he? which everyone did you see that? Forgot. I saw it. Was it terrible? Here's the thing. It's almost like the opposite of the Pitch Perfect thing, where I saw men, women, and children, and I was like, that wasn't that great. Yeah. But then everyone hated it so much that I feel like I want to defend it because it's not it. that yeah. bad. Labor Day 
is a real big. Oh, turd. that's a real bad movie. Uh, Labor Day. I've I've I, I've talked about this in the podcast before. Labor Day is bad because I'm with you. It is, <laughs> but it's I, it's like I couldn't look away. It's so odd in the way that it's bad. It is a weird and it's dumb like, movie. It's making yeah. choices and just like making us go along with it. Where like I should be like, well, put on the brakes. This yeah. like it's like what is- an alien thinks a whirlwind romance looks like. <laughs> yeah. We have how convicts are always making pie, and it's great. Yeah, is that based on a book? I don't. It's based know. on a holiday. <laughs> yeah, that's. Okay. that's- now we know the true meaning of Labor Day. <laughs> it's really hard to adapt Highs a holiday because <laughs> it's different to everybody. Uh, where were we with Magnolia? Um, it's got a, a lot of great performances in it. A lot of great performances. Um, I mean, we, yeah, I know we had, we jumped ahead to Punch Drunk Love, but uh, I feel like we can't talk about someone acting against type without going back to Tom Cruise right. and Magnolia. And he's awesome in Magnolia. Yeah. Uh, and I felt like that was another, I guess because, I mean, Magnolia is, what, 99, so I was 17 when it came out. Um, I, I I didn't know. I, I, I had an idea of Tom Cruise that um, was completely blown out of the water by that movie, yeah. and I feel like I've done, we've, we did one of these profile episodes on Tom Cruise. It was one of the, uh, maybe the last one we did. Um, and I think Magnolia's movie really made me respect him more as an actor. I don't know about other things. I, what's interesting about his role, too, is is at the time, yeah, I was, I think I was seven, 16 or 17 as well, and when I saw it, I thought, like, that's such a weird character. There's nothing like that in real life. And now, with the men's rights activists. <laughs> right. Like it's based on a real guy. Is it based yeah, on a real some, guy? Like, I, I forget the name, but Paul Thomas Anderson is actually named the guy. Oh, wow. Because it horrified me at the time. Like, I thought, like, somebody, a man like that, like, it, it's it's ridiculous, right? Like, I thought, it, 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 there's no way that could be based in reality. I guess it is. But now, there's so many guys like that, and that's really scary. There's a lot of well, bozos all, out there. Yeah. I think they always were, but I like to comfort myself by thinking they're more vocal now because it's the last... Like they're a dying breed, yeah, and they're raging against their uh, antiquated ways dying out. That's what I like to think that it really? seems like. There's more now. I just think that everybody has a forum now because yeah. everyone's online now. So and they're anonymous. Ju- they're able to just <clears throat> troll people online without anyone knowing who they really are. So right. But that character, and it's specific to that time, is like a, a figure on kind of the you know deep cable TV. I think the uh-huh. first time you see him in Magnolia is on a shitty TV. Like he's doing his... Yeah. And right. Like an infomercial or whatever. Or right. a self, self-help commercial. Whatever. He's pitching his program. It's funny because it's Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the biggest movie star in the world. And he's on some some shitty television. And you could call that number for years. That's oh, right. Really? Yeah, yeah, and there was a recording of Tom Cruise, but it's not the. It's now it's just somebody's phone number, but for a long time you could call it. He bought the number and um and had a recording of Tom Cruise. Uh, I feel sorry for whoever has that phone number now. I know it's like the person whose number is eight six seven five three zero nine. Yeah, include the person like, on, in 
St. Louis County when I, that I called when I was in high school. I called 867-5309, and a woman answered, and I said, is Jenny there? And she said, get a life. She hung up for me. Jesus Christ, she must do that all day. All, yeah. yeah, all the time. But that, I mean, I, it always really takes me out of movies when there's a 555 number. It makes me so mad. It's just like, don't even show the number if you're yeah, not going to yeah, purchase yeah. a number. But I think Magnolia, Gilmore Girls did a thing where um, it was, uh, if you called the number, it was a recording about a charity. That was how they... Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Yeah, Magnolia was the first time I ever heard of a a, a movie actually, like, using a real phone number and, and yeah. buying it. Do you, are you uh, news radio fans? Mm, yeah. Do you remember when uh, the, 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 the class takes a field trip to the radio station and Jimmy James, uh, Stephen Root's character, gets the teacher's <laughs> number? And he says, yeah, it's 555. Oh, that's one of those fake TV numbers. <laughs> and throws it away. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Um, I love Stephen Root. You should do a profile episode. You on should. Stephen do we definitely should. Yeah, he's he's great in everything. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's one of those names that when you see in the credits of something, because you often like, I feel like I'm often watching things that I don't know Stephen Root is in, mm-hmm. and then I see his name and I'm like, oh boy, this yeah. is going like to be Brad good. Like Brad Dourif. Like, oh yeah. Whenever Brad Dourif's in something, it's going to be great. Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of people like that. Um, you know we should cast these guys. Paul, Paul Thomas, Thomas Anderson. Anderson. You know, <laughs> well, he does. He works with so many great character actors. That's, yeah. And I love that he uses comedians in, 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 in non-comedy roles. And I think he gets so much out of them. Like, Inherent Vice is full of, like, newer comedians. That's which is really cool. Yeah? Well, we'll get... Uh, hello, we'll get who, like, who? Now I can't think of their names. That guy, the, the girl from Workaholics. Yeah, that girl from who's on Workaholics. Uh, Jillian. Oh, Jillian Bell. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she's very funny in the movie. She is, and I feel like maybe part. because I'm like a comedy nerd, I don't think of her as a new comedian. Like, oh, I've known who Jillian Bell is for years. Well, now. <laughs> but you're right. I'm new, like, yeah, like yeah. in terms of like uh, like younger. Yeah, uh, younger, not super famous. Yeah. But she's great in the hair advice, which is like, mm-hmm. you, guys, you, you guys want some drinks? You're going to be fucked up for this meal or whatever <laughs> the line is. And that actor who's, um, his character's Jonah on Veep. I don't know his name either. What is that guy's name? Oh, yeah, yeah. Timothy I, Simmons? I think so. I think is his name. He's okay. great. And he's great yeah, in the that's such a funny part. Man. Uh, People that don't like that movie are silly. That's, it's so funny. Out. Like, I love all that stuff with the FBI. Yeah. Um, yeah. And our friend Josh Fadum is in the Master, but only very, he is? very brief. I guess apparently I he had that. apparently he had a scene with Laura Dern that got cut, but in the scene at the house when uh, everyone's like clapping and dancing along, and then yeah. um, you see like in his mind all the women are naked in mm-hmm. the house. Josh is in the background of that scene. Oh my god! <laughs> you can see him like lean over uh, into frame at one point, and I was like, ah, oh, that's that's just, so awesome. What? Yeah. <laughs> I wish I knew that. Yeah, um, me awesome. too. Uh, I wish I had the Blu-ray. We'd, we, we'd, we'd look at it, but uh, I don't. Um, we own the master. We can check it out. Yeah, we do. Okay. Um, so I'll, <laughs> I'll go to your guys' place after this yeah, and we'll watch, we'll watch the, it. And okay. Then... <laughs> um, so any, uh, uh, anything else, else about Punch Drunk Love? Because I feel like uh, I don't know, that one's almost the key to me, even though it's not post there will be blood it's not my favorite paul thomas anderson movie because right. there will be blood is but punch drunk love is the one that uh, i feel is the most important to me understanding who he is um anything else about that movie no i mean it's the most dialed back of his movies too i think because it's not a huge ensemble cast it stays with the main character most of the time yeah yeah oh i see yeah in, in that way it is but um, 
to compare it to Magnolia, which is the opposite of that. It's yes, this yes. huge scope. But the um, Magnolia feels like something, uh, I guess, even if you see it in the theater, I feel like you could watch it on TV, whereas Punch Drunk Love, despite its smaller scale from a character point of view, is so grand and weird in its mm-hmm. presentation and with the, uh, the the I don't know what you call those little the transition things with the colors with on the screen. Colors, Do you remember yeah. those? Palette. Um, yeah. Which that artist killed himself. I don't even know. Yeah. 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 Great. Fucking amazing story. That couple. Um, I don't know the whole story. I just know that he walked into the ocean. It's a long story. I think I think actually someone's going to turn it into a movie. But that's the same artist that did the cover for Beck's Sea Change album. Oh, that makes sense. There's a lot of weird work. Yeah, he ended up killing himself. He was deathly afraid of Scientologists. Wow. Uh, and, and Beck specifically, actually. That's a fascinating story. Yeah, it, it's a very long story, yeah. though. I, it, there was a story about that guy, and I think it was in the New York Times, or the New Yorker. Um, it was the New Yorker. I forget the name of the artist. Uh, it's like, I want to say it's like Jeremy something. Yeah. But um, yeah, he and his girlfriend both ran and walked into the ocean. Um, oh, they did together? Didn't they? Didn't they do it together? No. Oh. She killed oh, no. herself like uh, a week later, though. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, uh, but the other thing about um, Punch Drunk Love is I feel like uh, it's the first time something would be had, has become a trademark of his is to have sort of an avant-garde score, mm-hmm. um, and the John Bryan's sort of percussion-heavy but arrhythmic score for Punch Drunk Love um, is maybe one of the other reasons that it doesn't get thought of uh, the way that Magnolia does it because it's so unconventional. unconventional. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's unsettling, almost. Yeah, it is. You know, there's the, the scene when he's um, uh, when he's having like almost a nervous breakdown in his office and he's running back and forth from like the Luis Guzman into the office and uh, that would again like the rage thing and like the, the happy Gil- I almost said Harry Potter the happy Gilmore <laughs> thing like would play like a standard comedic scene but because of John Bryan's music is so weird it's it gets under your skin almost and I know they had um, John play the music for Adam Sandler while they were shooting because to get him in the mode because Adam Sandler didn't really understand the character and so huh. that was like a big thing was like being like just feel this music and that that apparently helped a lot <laughs> um uh i saw i i saw punch and glove in a movie theater um and some asshole was making a bunch of noise and i turned around to see who it was or or, or to say something i don't remember and it was at the exact moment that that truck goes flipping down the street. Do you remember that part? Oh, in the movie? yeah. Before he finds the, like, uh, whatever it's called, the the organ or whatever. Um, I remember thinking, like, it threw me off for the rest of the movie almost. Like, did I, like what did I miss? Like, how did the, Oh, gosh, I, I'm looking yeah. at just a guy standing on a sidewalk. I look away for a second. I come back, and there's a truck flipping down the street. <laughs> um, I've, of course, I've since seen the movie, and everything has fallen into place. <laughs> um should we move on to uh, There'll Be Blood? Sure. Um, oh, well, we haven't talked, we didn't talk about Phil, we haven't talked about Phil Seymour Hoffman once, even though he's been in every movie we've yeah. mentioned he's so in, far. He's in uh, Punch Drunk Love. He's amazing. Yeah, so. yeah. That was one of those, when... Um, we should call that number. I bet that's, yeah. that's probably a working number, too. The phone uh, sex number. 
<laughs> when he when he died, there were a couple of cli- like YouTube clips that I watched over and over again, and that the one when he's like, "Shut up, shut, 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 shut up." Um, I watched that one, and then I watched his first scene in Charlie Wilson's War, but that's not a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, so we'll set that one aside. Um, uh, anyway, I feel like this has gone off the rails. Um, <clears throat> should we move on to There Will Be Blood? Yeah. Which um, is uh, which doesn't have Phil Sooner often in it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I mean, I think that's one of the best movies of this century yet, you know, for sure. Yeah. That That's... Probably the only movie where I've ever walked out of the theater thinking like I think that's the best movie I've ever seen. It's, like yeah, and I and I still, it's unbelievable. It's perfect. It it, it and it it feels uh, Tyler Tyler and I have talked about this before that it feels so inspired and grand that you almost get the impression that Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't entirely know what he was trying to say or how like it almost felt like it just had to come out of him in a uh-huh. way you know because it uh it's 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 nebulous but in in a way that feels uh you know the way that that you know life or the world is not because it's underthought it's just uh it's it it just seems to have sprung sprung from somewhere and it's like a a complete object and then we just we just reckon with it as it is uh and it's not like a kind of movie where i would say like oh i wish he'd done this or wish the music were this like every no, part of everything. it is is perfect for that movie oh the music's so good have you read upton sinclair's oil no neither have i so i don't <laughs> okay. understand the source material because you're saying like it's something that he had to say it's a i'm not certain how married he was to that material yeah from what i understand it's not it's that. not a very close I haven't read it um, I've read other Upton Sinclair works though and it doesn't feel <laughs> like a like a true adaptation of of his voice at all and I, I've heard that Oil's it's pretty short it's like a isn't it like I don't know I think it's a pretty short book but it seemed like he was in, you know inspired by whatever the his idea, response yeah. to the Bush administration and like the way he kind of felt about what was happening and he just wanted to tell a tale of whatever someone's ambition gone mad you know uh, and that's all it is basically it's a pretty simple movie really it's really simple yeah yeah um it's very uh we just talked about this um on the podcast recently it's very similar in that respect to nightcrawler for, i don't know if you guys saw oh, that yeah. so great yeah but uh it's a very similar type of type of character yeah it is uh, the ruthless ambition psychopathically ruthless yeah. ruthless ambition um, and it's like a and it's a it's very American too. It's like a bootstrap story. Yeah. Somebody right. doesn't really come from a lot, you know. And in, in both cases, they start off pretty poor. Like, uh, uh, what's the fucking character's name? Uh, Daniel Plainview. Daniel Plainview. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's his own operation right. in the beginning. But I, I think because you're right. But to compare it, like, to, or to to contrast it to other sorts of stories like if i don't know if you guys saw unbroken yeah um which is uh, i didn't think was very good um but those type of like stories of those like bootstrap type american you know stories like they show oh he went through such a hard time as a kid and like they give you that sort of backstory so you feel sympathy for him whereas we don't see Daniel Plainview as a kid. We don't see him struggling no. at all. We, when we first see him in that first opening, like 
15 minutes or whatever. Um, it's just him alone doing, like, being so driven uh, that you don't need, like, that's all you need to know about the character right there. I, I don't think, I don't think P.T. Anderson is trying to um, get us on Daniel Plainview's side at any point. No, no. I think, as I think about movies like uh, The Pursuit of Happiness, that Will Smith movie. Yeah. Did you ever see that? Yeah. It's just so schmaltzy, but it's like that guy, seeing interviews with that real guy, like, he's a fucking asshole. And, like, the whole purpose <laughs> of that movie is, like, see, but he got rich. Like, just, like, <laughs> yeah, he slept in bathrooms. Yeah, he forced his son to sleep in homeless shelters. But he got rich, so it worked out. Like, it's just, like, like people who are, like, you know, like, do the secret or whatever. And instead of, you have the power to manifest all these things, but instead of manifesting things for others, like, manifest a boat, you know? Like, uh-huh. just, like... <laughs> Fuck you and your selfish magic, you know. Like it's not, but but that like a very Hollywoody thing is to show those bootstrap stories. And I think like the pursuit of happiness is like the the perfect like opposite of there will be blood. Like both because you know obviously there will be blood is is a really good movie and pursuit of happiness <laughs> is not a really good movie. But it is like a you know a, a man and his boy. And just right. someone who's showing like what a hero he is. He got money. Like yeah, the, I would think the the points of view are. The opposite. The opposite, yeah. yeah. But it's the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's someone being rather ruthless and, you know, but in The Pursuit of Happiness, it's shown as, like, he sacrificed so much. But really, it's like, no, he's fucking, he's a dick. <laughs> um, All he cares about is money. Horrible. Uh, but uh, and, and listeners are going to feel like I'm a broken record because every time there'll be blood comes up, comes up I, bring, I bring this up. But... Um, like to keep in would keep with what we've been saying about his career the whole time. Derby Blood is almost stealthily really funny. Really funny. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't feel like he got and I, I don't even think the first time I saw it I thought of it as a as a funny movie. I think because I was just so like bowled over by so much of its, you know, grandeur and Daniel Day Lewis's performance. And it's only on subsequent and subsequent and subsequent viewings. That's one I've seen a lot. I do have that Blu ray. Um it gets funnier every time I watch it, I think. I feel like in that way, and I know it's compared a lot to Stanley Kubrick movies, and, like, obviously, like, Kubrick's the best. And some of his movies are funny. Um, Doctor Strange, Love and Clockwork Orange are both really funny movies. But I think the problem with Stanley Kubrick is he's devoid of all humanity, and it's, like, just... It's so beautiful technically. But I feel like in There Will Be Blood in particular, he sort of mastered his own Kubrick movie and that it was like really technically perfect and beautiful but there is humanity in it you know even though it's a very cynical point of view and it's a story of this you know terrible person there still is humanity in the story and you see humanity in the other characters yeah and and so much humor comes from that too and I just think it's the perfect movie I agree yeah, they try to draw out his that character's humanity with the role of uh, both his son and the guy mm-hmm. posing as his brother. Uh, yeah, um, but ultimately, <clears throat> like greed wins out for that guy, and even though he gets what he wants, he's it's it's a pretty miserable. Yeah, it's really sad. End for that guy. Yeah. Well, I, but I don't even know. If, I, I don't know that it is the end. I mean, it's the like uh, he's. 
uh, I guess we can spoil the end of Deadly Blood. Yeah. Um, if you haven't seen eight it, years then old why this are point you almost. listening to a podcast? Um, eight years old. It, it will be this fall, yeah. Eight years old. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, but, uh, I mean, I don't think he's going to get arrested for the murder of Paul Dano's character. No. Uh, I think he's going to be... he's. He's in his own prison, whatever that means to him, but I don't think that this is the end of his empire or anything like that. But he's completely lost touch. Like, the, that scene is like, it's, he, whatever, he's in his big bowling alley, but there's no, uh, like, you don't get a sense of exterior at all right. in that scene. He's just in this, like, big open space of his own. Uh, and... You imagine that that guy never gets out anymore. Like, yeah, he is. He's, well, he's paranoid. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he can't get out. I don't that's, think he wants. I feel like he's. That's whatever that house means to him is what he's been working for his whole life. Like, he had, um, you know, he he had a he had a goal in mind, and that's it. He got it. Yeah, and he's reached it. And I don't think it, I don't think the movie's uh, schmaltzy enough to say that he's like I don't think he's ever going to have that moment of realization, being like, "Oh, this is like this You're is what look it was at all for." Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, it's not a very happy existence. No, him. it's a miserable existence. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very glad that there wasn't a second ending where he then like looks in the mirror and is like. <laughs> I'm a bad person. You know? <laughs> if I could do it again, I I would do it. Completely. I'm a bad man. Yeah, I'm a bad man. <laughs> and then kills himself, and then right, right. But no, it's like it ends with like his son getting a letter. Right? <laughs> oh, he did care all along. Oopsie <laughs> daisy. That was a terrible impression. That was enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, but there was. Uh, there was a time there, like at the late 2007, early 2008, where all anyone did was Daniel Plainview impressions. Oh, there was, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I don't know what the, like, then there was Bane in 2012. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, what is the new impression everyone's doing? There's got to be, someone has to come along Have you seen something. Borat? <laughs> <laughs> so there's this really hot movie called yeah. Borat. And really funny people do Borat voices. Um, <laughs> I feel like I've been putting off getting to the master because it's a tough one to talk about for me. I, I, I don't know because I, I don't know how I feel about it. I know I, I like it, but I, I've never been able to put in into put it into words. It, it, uh, I, I don't know. You, you guys, you guys, uh, you know, have it on home video. You watch it every other weekend or whatever. <laughs> we, <laughs> we watch it at least twice a month. <laughs> <clears throat> how do you feel about the master? Which is also I very, love a very it. funny movie. I love yeah. It. yeah, and I, I almost feel the same way I do about in, Inherent Vice. And I'm I, that's the thing. I'll never be able to articulate kind of why I like those movies so much. But I feel like there's like, um, like in the, in the Master, he just wants to explore what is basically a father son relationship and and kind of why it, it why they need each other and why they can't have each other. That's basically the story, right? And uh, and then uh, he just sort of creates this world for both of them. And see, I'm already. It's well, all his movies do lost have. What I was thinking about. And as a, you know, a woman and a feminist, a lot of times writer directors who only focus on male characters and male relationships get on my nerves. When he is 
you know, very male-centric and very male-focused. But his movies, they're certainly never misogynistic, even when there's misogynistic characters. Mm-hmm. And they certainly don't feel like they're excluding women. Like, he always has, like, strong supporting female characters. They're never at the center of it. It would be interesting if he did do a piece with a female at the center, but maybe he couldn't because he doesn't understand it. You know, I think he really is looking at male relationships in all in all of his movies. And the master is probably the m- most clear example of a father-son relationship or a master-servant relationship. Um, and as a woman, I don't have anything in my life to, you know, the, the mother-daughter relationship or even, you know, mentor, like student relationship it is so different, I think, for women that, that the master, for me, is like kind of like a peek inside of that world, uh-huh. like a uh, very masculine, strange <laughs> world. And obviously that's an extreme example of it, but it does breed like a, like a, like a father-son or, you know, some people I think right. said like, Master dog, which I think is a little extreme. I don't think he's like a dog. It's a, th- that might be a little extreme, but I think there's something to the idea that it's a father son relationship up to a point because the an ideal father son father son relationship or father child relationship parent child relationship uh, would be that you prepare your child and hope that they go out into the world and do better than you did. But um, but uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, I forget his character's name. Um, wants he wants to be that mentor but he doesn't ever want uh Joaquin Phoenix to to, to outgrow him yeah, or, yeah to, to be able he always wants to have him under his thumb in a way so maybe I, I can see the master dog thing there yeah. again it's a little simplistic but uh well that is I mean and obviously it's it's based on Alan Hubbard and, and Scientology um which that that makes me so mad when the initial reviews came out of the master and people were like expecting it to be like an expose on Scientology instead right. of like a character study and people were like, but it doesn't do any of the, you yeah. know, I wanted Scientology to be debunked. And it's like, no, that it wasn't. A, right. A, but I do feel like, like in the time leading up to its release, it was like thought of as P.T. Anderson's Scientology movie. Yeah. And it is clearly based on right. Scientology, but it can be, you know, really a parable for any religion. And I think about um, Jim Jones in Jonestown, like that, he had to be the leader and had to be the leader of all these people, and that was his downfall. You know, I think that's kind of every cult leader having to retain control of of their cult members. Like it, it always bites them in the end. Right. Like that's never going to work. Um. Yeah, I don't know what I was going to say. I forgot. <laughs> uh. Uh, but the um, the the perfect metaphor scene for what I'm talking about about him not wanting Joaquin Phoenix to go off on his own is <laughs> my favorite scene in the movie when Joaquin Phoenix really does go off on his own when he rides the motorcycle uh-huh. out in the middle of the desert and the scene uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, reflects uh, he's going very fast good boy <laughs> <laughs> that's a direct rip off of Melvin and Howard is it really? yeah yeah, yeah you it seen is the, movie, the Jonathan Demme movie uh, no, I never have. Which is sort of a, a a relationship about a mentor and protege. It's about Howard Hughes. Okay. Uh, being picked up by sort of a he's a hitchhiking 
this is after he's gone mad, but he's oh, okay. obviously still a very rich man, and he gets picked up by a redneck, and uh, the redneck ends up claiming that uh, Hughes leaves all his money to him, or Hughes leaves a significant amount of his money to him. Similar thematically. Yeah, it's but based there's on also a, true a scene story. where the beginning of that movie is Howard Hughes in the desert on a motorcycle, kind of going ape shit. Oh, I gotta see movie, that. Yeah. Uh, homework for for us if everyone's listening. Um, <clears throat> anything else on the master? I feel like we already talked about inherent vice. I feel like this is a good uh, overview of Paul Thomas Anderson. Right? How long is it? I, has, has it been? Has it? I don't know. I don't feel like I've done my job. I think a good idea um, is to have a, a Paul Thomas Anderson party and put on the invitation. Paul Thomas Anderson party. There will be. There will be blood. <laughs> You've had that in your pocket for <laughs> an hour. Uh, well, this is all worth it. Yeah, exactly. for that. Um, I feel like I just said like I started a lot of thoughts and then was like, I, oh, I don't know. Never mind. <laughs> I went to the bath. I, I, I should probably admit that I went to the bathroom for a little while <laughs> during this podcast. So I don't know if it's been brought up, but um, Paul Thomas Anderson is from the Valley. Oh yeah, that and is uh, all of his movies explore some period of time in, in California. In so California, California, mostly Los Angeles, and most I mean, in, with Boogie Nights, Magnolia, and Punch Drunk Love, very specifically the Valley, valley mm-hmm. yeah. too. Um, even though it, in the, it's Magnolia, obviously is named after Magnolia yeah. Boulevard, but the shot at the end. Like it's victory, like where the where the toads are on. <laughs> it's it's like victory in Whitsett or something, or or, or victory in in, in Laurel, uh, and that's the one thing I never never would have noticed before I moved out here. Right, but now I know it's like that's not Magnolia Boulevard. Uh, yes, okay, but uh, that's also another connection to Nightcrawler, which is also a good Valley yeah. movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. Nightcrawler is a great Valley movie. Uh, I wouldn't say it's Valley specific. What's that? We can get into that. Because doesn't that that character lives near the airport? He does live near the airport, and yeah. he goes all over the place. Wait, in Nightcrawler? Yeah, he lives near. I think it's meant to be the Burbank Airport, oh, the Van Nuys it? Airport. Because oh, is he, it? He says he lives in the North Valley, so I think it's oh, he does be Van Nuys or Burbank. Oh, airport. I thought he lived like because uh, he has that thing. He's like he's yeah, like, like I live in the North Valley, like but uh, he's like um, no one I know lives near me anymore, or something like that. He has That's the, right, yeah. that discussion about where he lives, um, and yeah, the. It's on uh, the thing I like about Nightcrawler. This is we're going to end talking about a movie that's not a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. But um, I like movies where, uh, unlike Magnolia, where they say the name of a street and that's actually where they are. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so when they say Moore Park, they're on Moore Park. And you know the um, you know they get gas at the uh, the Shell at Ventura and Laurel there. Um, But I do have a problem with the near the end of the movie where they say the Chinatown Express that they're at mm-hmm. is on Western, like in Koreatown. Right. But then the car chase ends up on, I want to say, Laurel, where there's that Greek restaurant with a big fake uh, torch. And that, yeah. does, that bothers me. There's no way they got That's over the That's a really hill. long car chase, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, well, Nightcrawler also has, he tries to be, uh, he tries to have a protege. and right. Doesn't work out that well, but then he yeah. has a whole bunch of protégés. Yes, yeah. Like that Spoilers is that, that, that person who wants to just be in control of other people. This is great. This is a lot of fun. 
Uh, I'm sorry if it was awkward. It was awkward for me because I'm not used to. <laughs> I'm kind of weird about having people uh, in my in my home. Um, so thank you for being here. Thank you for putting up with my weirdness uh, and my and, and, the, and that of my pets. Um, you listeners, you can find me at battleshippretension.com. You can uh, email me at david at battleshippretension.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at The Pretension. Where can people find you guys and your work on the internet? And where can people find pink, pink grapefruit? I don't know. <laughs> if you're going to Sundance, it'll be at the Prospector Square Theater on Tuesday. <laughs> Um, you can find me on the internet at thatsusanburke.com and my Twitter is at thatsusanburke. And I'm at at Ray Stevens on Twitter. It's not true. <laughs> it's, right, it's at Matt Peters. <laughs> Thank you guys for being here. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you at home for listening. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 